You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. I want to read a story to you um, from the book of Genesis. And again, we don't, we don't always go all the way back in, in the Bible like this, but we are going to do that this season um, in the season of remembering. And uh, we're going to look at kind of a difficult story here tonight. It's, it's, it's kind of funny to me that this is like told as a children's story because it's kind of terrifying, like uh, ap- apocalypse by <laughs> water, essentially. Um, so it's kind of funny that it's like on, on nursery room walls and stuff, um, but I hope we can kind of dive, dive into the story together because there is a promise. There is a covenant promise here from God, which, it, uh, which is part of the reason to remember. It's part of this like discipline of remembering and telling the story again and again. Um, does anybody like, really like to read out loud from the Bible? John McCarthy is so good at that. John, can I give you this long passage? Okay. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to, destroy, going to destroy both them and the earth. So make an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch, inside and out. This is how you are going to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and your son's wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. 
two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. It kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Thanks, John. It's interesting that this story is often presented to children because I think it's scary to think about a water apocalypse. Probably the most difficult part for me theologically is the description of God as destructive and motivated by regret. It doesn't fit with the platonic ideals we were probably taught about God's omniscient foreknowing and control. This picture of God is way more human and emotional. God is saddened by the choices of humanity, their violence and disregard for each other, and so God decides to start over. The hyphal stem on the Hebrew word for wipe out or blot out suggests being put out of mind. God is unremembering the creation here. But thankfully, God can't go, quite go all the way with that. As in the whole story of God's relationship with humanity in the Bible, Divine wrath is always overcome by divine mercy. There's always a bigger inclination, a bigger arc of the story toward hope and salvation. At the heart of God's witness is a God 
who, no matter how grieved by evil, is in love with the universe and its creatures, particularly us bipeds who share God's same image. It's like the words from the prophet that Megan referenced. Can a woman forget her nursing baby and have no compassion on the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That's a powerful image. I can say from experience as a nursing mother, when you even think loving thoughts about your baby, your body leaks with nourishment for the baby. So it's not easy to forget a nursing baby. But even if we do, God says, I will not forget you. God decides there's something worth saving about humanity. Noah and his family in particular, because they listened to God and trusted God, even when it was real countercultural and, and crazy looking for them to be building a giant boat. God tells them to build a boat that's about half the size of the Titanic, according to the measurements that John read, and then to fill it with creatures of all kinds, but in an order that reverses the creation story. It moves backwards from humanity to land animals, to birds and food plants. And then through the flood, God undoes the safe space God had made between the waters above and the waters below in the creation story. Maybe that's why Kevin Costner's Waterworld movie flopped so badly. It was one of the most expensive movies ever made. Maybe because it's just so catastrophic to even try to depict the world almost destroyed by flooding. Some theologians have suggested that God's uncreating is less like a kid at the beach kicking his sandcastle apart and more of a simple turning away. Back to that concept of unremembering. Without God's sustaining and continuously creative presence and participation in the universe, things unravel. And that's what happens as the waters rise Everything that lives by breathing perishes within the chaotic dissolution of creation until only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. That kind of sounds like a very bleak and lonely situation. But that word for ark is the same as the Hebrew word for the basket that Moses' mother set him afloat in on the Nile River to hide him from being killed by Pharaoh. And it's the same word as the tree that shielded Ishmael and Hagar from the desert sun when they were abandoned to die out there. This word, teva, symbolizes provision and salvation in the most dire circumstances. A teva is a lifeline, the means the gift that is given that enables us to traverse the troubled waters of our circumstances. With Teva in mind, a Hasidic rabbi I follow wrote, the whole world is a narrow bridge and the most important thing is not to fear. A Teva 
is always provided in God's story. The ark, the basket, the tree. A way of relief, of escape. A way of salvation. It usually comes right in the nick of time. God remembers Noah. The gift of the Teva allows our stories to continue on toward new and eternal beginnings too. Genesis chapter 8 begins with a wonderful but that returns to God's goodness and reverses the uncreation. God's mercy and love is greater than God's grief or regret. It says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and cattle that were with him in the ark. Right here at the high water mark, God remembered the last remaining speck of creation and turns again towards it. God caused a wind to blow, not unlike the spirit that moved over the primordial waters in Genesis 1 and the east wind that prevailed against the waters of the Red Sea in Exodus and the breath of God that moved through the house in Jerusalem at Pentecost, filling all the people with a fire of love that caused them to understand each other. This wind of God after the flood causes the earth to dry out and a vision for the future takes shape again. Two of the most well-known and, and best-loved images from the story are the dove of peace and the rainbow. Not all doves are white, by the way, as you can see here on this slide. This is a fruit dove, and all doves are part of the pigeon family. So I like to claim this promise for Philadelphia. We have many pigeons. When the waters subside, God promises with these symbols to never abandon the creation to chaos, but to stay in a sustaining relationship with humanity, a relationship that makes life possible. And we see the fruit of that covenant in Jesus and the Spirit now with us. Some of you might have studied how this story connects with other major deluge narratives from other parts of the ancient world, especially in the East. And the timing of when the Hebrew people wrote this story down really points to the wisdom in remembering, the reason why we need to make a spiritual discipline out of remembering what God has done. Scholars estimate that this oral narrative took shape in written form during the time of exile in Babylon. This was a time of great pain and trauma for the Hebrew people when they were trying to process big questions about human evil and loss and wondering about divine intervention as they were painfully separated from their homeland and traditions. They were trying to remember who God was so I think it helped to stir up the collective memory about how God had provided for a new start in the past. A great new start, even through great catastrophe and trauma. They needed to remember that God doesn't quit on us, even when things don't look good. They needed to remember this covenant promise of new beginnings in order to trust in God's creative provision again. They needed to remember that a teva, a way of relief or escape or salvation, would always be provided. 
one of the ways that we now remember this promise of a cleansing new start is through baptism. Specifically, God in the person of Jesus came to show us that God enters the waters of our messy, universal human experience to show a new way. He resisted and overcame the ways of violence and destruction. And in following him, we can too. He, Jesus, is the teva from which we are saved from destruction, the basket that preserves us, the tree of relief that sustains our life in the desert. The movie Schindler's List was based on a book that was originally called Schindler's Ark because over a thousand people were saved from destruction by the Nazis through that list. It was Teva, a way of salvation for those who were in trouble. We need to keep remembering the stories of God remembering humanity and saving us, even though they happen in the midst of problematic and troubling circumstances. That's part of why we need to remember we need awareness that we're not alone in our own troubling circumstances. That there might be a way of relief or escape or salvation in the nick of time. A teva that's based on the nature and character of God. If not in this life, then certainly in the next. Because God's mercy is always greater than the destruction and the threat of destruction that we endure. That suffering is real, but so is God's mercy and provision. And we're called to lean in there, into the mercy and provision. Because we see in this story that what is attended to develops and grows, and what is forgotten tends to wither. When God turns away from creation, it's destroyed. But when God remembers Noah, he is saved. We probably have some similar power in our remembering and attending in that what we focus on is more likely to manifest than what we ignore. But either way, God's mercy persists. The way of salvation through Christ has been provided and lives even more than an ark in a flood, a basket in a river, or a tree in the desert. God's provision is like hands that we are held in. One of my best pals, Martha Grace, has a tattoo on her arm of a little girl standing, being held in God's hands to help her remember the teva we've all got now. God's provision is alive and active to intervene and comfort and guide through the spirit in each other. I've been enjoying more time with our friend Gigi Giusto over the past few weeks, and I want to leave you with some words from her. Some of you probably know that she was recently diagnosed with aggressive brain cancer. She's determined to fight it, as you might imagine if you know her. She's a real force of life and joy, and she's determined to enjoy whatever time she has left on this side of life. In this powerful, thin place that she's in, 
And by thin place, I mean that the barrier between heaven and earth is more transparent to her now. She keeps hearing a message from God that she told me I could share with you. And the message is basically, relax. She says it a lot more colorfully than I can say it to you right now. But what she is hearing from God is relax. Stop worrying and striving and feeling insecure and unworthy. Trust that I've got you and do what you are sent here to do. Shine and share my love. That's what we were all sent here to do. Don't waste any more time worrying because we live under a covenant of promise, not a curse. The God who sustains and guides the whole universe is love. And they hold us. So relax. Let me pray for us. Thank you for your promise, Lord. Thank you for making a way for us to start anew. Again and again, no matter what's going on, held in your steadfast love. We offer you our praise and open our hearts to your goodness again now, your ongoing and compassionate attention to all of creation. Help us to trust you. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhope.net.